Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about COVID cancels Thanksgiving sports and school. Dr. Simone Gold, founder of Frontline Doctors, joins me in studio. And Hunter's laptop is at Joe's demise, plus the debate tomorrow. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. We've been talking about COVID, coronavirus, the reaction by the government uh, at the federal level, state level, local level for months and months now. Now we're approaching the holiday season. I want to share with you the governor of California, or maybe he's a dictator, recently issued a statement telling the people of California how they can celebrate Thanksgiving. Literally, what he's talking about is, it's a set of COVID compliance rules for family gatherings at Thanksgiving. He says, and actually, the person who wrote the article, I was reading this, had to write in, this is not a spoof. But here's what he had to say. Gatherings that include more than three households are prohibited. The host should collect names of all attendees and contact information. All gatherings must be held outside. Attendees may go inside to use the restrooms as long as restrooms are frequently sanitized. Seating at Thanksgiving dinner must provide at least six feet of distance in all directions, front to back and side to side. Any food or beverages at outdoor gatherings must be in single-serve disposable containers. And get this last one. People who are singing or chanting are strongly encouraged to do so quietly at or below the volume of normal speaking voice. This would not fly in many communist countries. And this is the state of California telling its own citizens because of COVID, how they may behave on Thanksgiving. We had a similar warning from Dr. Fauci talking about he's not even going to have his adult children come back and visit for Thanksgiving because of the danger of COVID. Warning people really, really better just to, you know, not do a big celebration this year. Do it outside if you must do anything. Stay safe indoors and avoid the COVID season. And we have, of course, the latest discussion in California about whether Disneyland can open, how it can open, Who's allowed to go to it? You have around this country in states, really every state in this country and really around the world, rules about when schools can open, when sporting events can occur. Many of us are watching the painful college and, and uh, professional football seasons, very unnatural without the normal uh, cheering of audiences. And we have even here in the great state of Texas, we had a public high school where they were attempting to reopen, had some, uh, some number of students test positive not that they became sick, just tested positive and the whole school is shut down again. So we're really in a season where we have so much uh, continuing what in my characterization, tyranny, certainly unjustified exercise of the government's power. One thing to notify people and give people warning about the danger of COVID, how it spreads, what they suggest and advise, a whole other thing to have our economy, our society, our sports, our schools, our entertainment centers, and even our Thanksgiving dinners shut down. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. 
Well, I mentioned at the start of the show today, we have a great, great guest on the show today. Dr. Simone Gold happened to be in the great state of Texas and able to come by and join us in studio. And if you're thinking, I know that name, Dr. Simone Gold, you will certainly recognize her in a moment. But I will tell you that her background, the, the reason you would recognize her name is because she was among the founders, the founder of Frontline Doctors. America's Frontline Doctors. Amer she's helping me out here. America's Frontline Doctors. And this group is the one that went to Washington to try to tell America there may be other things we could be doing to deal with the threat of coronavirus other than our current policies. I'll tell you quickly about her. She is a, uh, M a great thing about her. She's an MD and a JD, so she has her law degree and medical degree, board certified emergency physician, graduated from Chicago Medical School before attending Stanford University Law School to earn her JD. She completed residency in emergency medicine at Stony Brook University Hospital in New York. She worked in Washington, D.C. for the Surgeon General, as well as for the chairman of the Labor and Human Resources Committee. She's an emergency room physician on the front lines and she's here to talk to us. So welcome to America Can We Talk, Dr. Gold. Thank you, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I am so glad you're here. And as you know, because I was communicating ahead of time, I have a long list of questions. So let's rock and roll. Let me just start with, why did you start this whole thing, America's Frontline Doctors? Very specifically because working in the emergency department, I was being told by my medical director that I could not prescribe hydroxychloroquine and zinc for patients who needed it. And I was told by the governor, in my case, Governor Newsom, that if I were to prescribe hydroxychloroquine for a COVID patient, I could be found, um, I could be reprimanded for unprofessional conduct, which is a direct threat of my license. It was those specific events that propelled me to look for allies like myself, physicians like myself, who would put the Hippocratic Oath in the patient above all else. That's a great answer. I will tell you very quickly, uh, Matt the Wonderful, I sent a picture of the frontline doctors in Washington, D.C. This is, if you could, yeah, there they are. And I'll just tell you this, this is a picture of one of the groups of doctors. And if you turn, the next picture I sent Matt is the, there you go, they all have their happy white um, robes, oh, you know, white um, doctor's uniforms on with on the back, America's frontline doctors. So, so you didn't like that you were being told that. Have you had in other circumstances the governor or anyone else tell you you can't prescribe certain legal medications for certain diseases? There's never been a situation like this in medicine. I was essentially a doctor before I was born because my dad was a doctor and it was well understood I'd be a doctor just growing up in my family. Oh. And there's never been a situation like this. We have an FDA approved medication for 65 years and all of a sudden we're told we cannot use it. And not only that, it's more specific than that. We could continue to use it for other illnesses, but not for this one illness. As an, an attorney, I was offended at the bureaucrats in government telling physicians how they could practice. In fact, I think it's very much against the practice of medicine that bureaucrats are doing that. Oh, it's, it's unheard of. And as you and I have shared on other occasions, it's happening in Texas too. Yes. The Texas Medical Board interfering with doctors trying to prescribe hydroxychloroquine. Right. So, I, so as a physician, I really was very upset that patients couldn't get their hands on a medication that I knew was life-saving and life-changing for them. So on our website, americasfrontlinedoctors.com, you can actually find a telemedicine physician who is hydroxychloroquine knowledgeable and from whom you can get it. Texas, under a lot of pressure from doctors and Senator, the great Senator Hall, did reverse themselves and they're back to a normal standard with hydroxychloroquine. They are. The website you mentioned, americasfrontlinedoctors.com. Dot com. People can find in any state in the country? Correct. Oh, that is a great resource. I get notes all the time from listeners. How do we find this? That is great to know. Okay. So you formed this organization. You went to Washington. You held your summit. And I want to, I, we jumped right before we, we got on air. We talked about the idea that you have done one summit. You did, I think, a second summit. 
and social media keeps taking it down. Is that what's happening right now with that? Right. So we did our first summit. As you heard, it got 20 million views in about six or eight hours, and then it was promptly deplatformed everywhere. They had a congressional hearing about big tech censorship, but nothing has changed. We came back and did a second White Coat Summit. Both of the summits are filled with educational videos. The first one had seven or eight hours of doctors giving truth to the American people. This one had about four to five hours. We talk about how you should manage for children, how the frail elderly should be taken care of. We talk about the difference between a real case versus just the positive cases that they're reporting. We talk about masks. We talk about early treatment. We talk about the way forward. And most importantly, Debbie, we talk about fear, how to let go of fear. There's a lot of control that the government is putting on the American citizens just by keeping them captured in fear. That is the truest story about the concept of fear. And you see it in your everyday life. We go to events where most people are they are healthy, they feel great, they're comfortable, and they're not wearing masks. And the few who are wearing masks actually are, are frightened to be there. It's critically important that people become educated. Thomas Jefferson said that you cannot be both educated and free. It is impossible because you can be too controlled by fear. That is exactly why we did these educational videos. You can watch a video. Everyone needs to watch at least two, 20 minutes. One is about fear. The other one is about masks because masks don't work. So okay, where do they find these videos? So americasfrontlinedoctors.com. Go under Summit and you can watch and learn all the data you need. So this is great. So I'm going to guess if someone tried to people use as a verb, Google it, you may have a hard time finding it, but just go to America's with a S. So important to go directly to the site, americasfrontlinedoctors.com. Okay, so I, I will do that. I'm going to go and listen and memorize what I hear. That's my plan. Okay, so tell me this, do we need to be at this point? Here we are in October, 2020. We've been dealing with this almost a year now, coming up in January of next year. Do we need to be shutting down schools? 100% no. The biggest mistake of this whole situation was shutting down schools ever. Certainly you should not be shutting down schools. Influenza is far more deadly to children than COVID-19 ever was. The facts are clear. Under age 15 across the entire country, 72 children under age 15 have died from COVID. That's in comparison to around 350 that have died from drowning, about 650 that have died from car accidents. That's saying that it's five times more risky to go in a swimming pool or get driven to school than coming down with a death to a child from COVID. Schools need to be open immediately. What about the argument people who are advocating closure say, well, okay, great, so the kids go to school and they may contract it, they may come into contact, they take it home, they give it to their elderly grandmother. What is the answer to that? That's actually factually inaccurate and that's been sold to us as a myth. It's like looking for big, Bigfoot and it's like looking for Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy. The myth of the asymptomatic spreader does not exist. It's been debunked. It's absolutely debunked in the medical literature. In fact, if anything, children are acting like a stopgap. The virus kind of like stops with them. It's certainly not lethal to kids. Kids don't appear to be transmitting it. We have a lot of evidence that there really is essentially no asymptomatic transmission of the illness. Not only that, the illness is either asymptomatic or very mildly symptomatic in most cases. And most importantly, there's early treatment. We're talking about an illness that by the CDC's own numbers is, is like 99 9.99% uh, recoverable if you're young. And even in patients who are 70 or 75 years old, it's greater than 95% chance of recovery. This is, a, this is lunacy. We're living in lunatic times. We are living in lunatic times. Uh, I want to turn to Mass, but before I get to the Mass question, I noticed you had something up on Twitter, and I think, Matt, I didn't send this to you, but there was a great graph you had up on Twitter, which related to college students, which is a different question. People say, well, but they're not the little kids, they're, they're adults-ish. And you had a, uh, I don't know, this is from October 5th. Out of 70,000 plus positive reported COVID-19 cases on university campuses, 70,000 cases of testing positive, well, you can tell the answer, there were? Three. Hospitalizations. Yes. And zero deaths. And zero deaths. That is staggering because the schools, the in fact, the Ivy Leagues kind of started it and then everybody else followed. They've been shut down since 
last March, March or so. March. So it's critical that people understand that they're they're using fear to control you. They're calling things cases that are not actually cases. By the way, a doctor would look at a case when they're using the word case. They're talking about a slip of of. Uh, they're talking about a piece of paper that says yay or nay. They're not talking about patients that are symptomatic with shortness of breath, cough, and fever. They're talking about a positive test. We can certainly also go into the inaccuracies of the tests. The tests are overly sensitive. They're picking up cases that are not clinically significant. But even those that are. Uh, this it, think of it as a case demic. It's not an epidemic. It's a case demic. We've got positive cases, but you cannot follow just positive test numbers. That doesn't make any sense. And it's not actually how public health is normally practiced, just following numbers. I was going to say part of the way that fear remains in society are the headlines constantly touting X number of new cases with the notion, therefore, you should submit to any new regulation, any new tyranny, because after all, new cases. So why specifically doesn't the number of new cases matter? The, the only number that has any significance or any validity, I should say, would be a mortality number. The reason that is is because that's an actual number of an actual event. Yes, it's overcounted. Yes, it's overly broad, the mortality, but at least it's real. The case numbers are inaccurate due to over-testing, uh, including asymptomatic cases or clinically insignificant cases, and also the inaccuracies of the test. There's lots of known inaccuracies. It's just, it's totally irrelevant. Okay, and I've made that point not with the authority and, and education as you have, but that point of if the cases they came down with and then they had a couple bad days, or even a week, and then they went back to, you to can, work. You can go back and look. Early on in the coronavirus task force meetings, Dr. Burks went ahead and said that. And she went and said that the number to follow is mortality number because mortality is a real event that you can actually measure. Whether it's truly accurate or not is a different story, but at least it's something real. This case number that they're talking about is not even a real thing. And by the way, we have 20 minutes of um, testing inaccuracies video on our website, americasfrontlinedoctors.com. I cannot wait to go to that website, americasfrontlinedoctors.com. Okay, I want to turn the subject of masks. And I sent Matt the Wonderful a very short clip, and I know there were several with our um, Biden on them, but Matt, this is the one that is referring to his plan about masks were he to be reelected. This is a recent interview with uh, he who would be President Joe Biden. He still doesn't have a plan, but I do. I put my plan out in March. You can read it all online. Go to JoeBiden.com. And it starts with a mask mandate nationwide. Our, his own people, his own people tell him that can save 100,000 lives between now and the end of the year. Okay. Well, that's pretty dang scary. What's your reaction to that? Okay, I like people to feel empowered. I have two points of information. One is Google, um, DuckDuckGo or do an internet search on um, surgical mask prior to March 2020. There was no pretense that a surgical mask, let alone a bandana, kept out a virus. Vi the the SARS-CoV-2 virus is one thousandth the size of a hair. Masks simply are ineffective. And I want everyone to do this test for themselves. Next time you go outside, put on a mask. Walk by somebody who's smoking a cigarette. Can you smell the cigarette smoke? The of answer course. is obviously yes. Well, the smoke particles are much larger than the size of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which is 0.1 micron. That's all. It's incredibly small. It's a simple strand of RNA. It gets right through the mask. The mask is wholly irrelevant. It's the analogy is like it's throwing sand at a chain link fence and hoping that the chain link fence is going to keep out the sand. It's ludicrous. I love that analogy. And actually, I mentioned on my show previously, you spoke at the conference we hosted a couple weeks ago at South Fork Ranch, the American Women and American Freedom. And the simple, I think you used the idea there, you, a similar point about the chain link fence. It's like putting up a chain link fence to keep mosquitoes out. Yeah, no good at all. So how do we get here, though? Why are we in a place where masks are being pushed if they're not effective? 
So I've thought a lot and I've gone back to our founding fathers and our constitution. So it turns out, of course, epidemics are not new. Epidemics are normal course of human events. So when our founding fathers came up with our constitution, when they put forth the Bill of Rights and the inalienable rights that all human beings have, they did this in full knowledge of epidemics like dengue fever, like smallpox, like the 1730s influenza of the 13 colonies. Oh. Despite epidemics, they wrote the Bill of Rights because they know that epidemics are an excellent way for the government to seize too much control. Why? Because epidemics are silent. They're stealth. They affect a large population at once. They leave the pop population feeling very helpless and um, turning to experts for guidance. Right. They happen to be an excellent way to control people through fear. This is actually why we have the Bill of Rights for situations such as epidemics. It's fear. So the purpose of telling people, because like, I will say my friends who are more fearful than I say, well, essentially, why would Dr. Fauci and other alleged experts, why would they push masks if they're really ineffective? I mean, I mean they do create fear. And once fear has been established and people, it's just like with climate change, they feel like, I'm not an expert. I don't know. So I'm just going to defer whatever they tell me. So why would Fauci be pushing these? So we have to just ask, when was Fauci pushing that? Because he certainly wasn't pushing masks back in March when he said that masks don't work. Let's consider that it wasn't a mistake that he said that back in March. He has spent virology as his life's work. He very emphatically, definitively, and carefully said to the American people that masks are irrelevant at stopping yeah. a virus. Everybody needs to go back and look. The question is, why is he saying something different now? And I say to you that when something happens in politics, there's another reason for it. Love that. So do you have the same reaction to the social distancing rules? Of course. There is no magic number about six feet. You do what your grandmothers advise you. If somebody is sick, you don't like to get too close because you don't want to get sick. It's no different. This is a coronavirus. Colds are coronaviruses. Yeah. Nobody wants to be sick. It makes sense not to be so close if somebody is you know, coughing and sneezing all over. That makes sense. It should be exactly the same with this. And so people who do feel symptoms, so whether you have a bad cold or some other exactly. things contagious, you people take care of themselves. They stay home. They stay away. And that's all that we really need to be doing with That is exactly correct. The exception is people who are already very compromised, who have poor immune functioning, a genuine immune function disorder, or people have you know severe heart, severe lung, severe kidney disease. Those people do need to be cautious because though in that population, COVID-19 can take you down. Those people should consider being on prophylaxis because then they can go back and live a full life. Is hydroxychloroquine a prophylaxis? Yes, hydroxychloroquine and zinc work excellent as prophylaxis. And you can find that exact information on our website. Hydroxychloroquine and zinc, the American public just needs to put it in their medicine cabinet. If you can get it in Indonesia, you can get it in Iran, you can get it all over the world, but you can't get it here. So go to our website and get yourself some. Okay, prophylaxis, just for our listeners, it just means a preventative Correct. Measure. So if you have any hydroxychloroquine and zinc in your system before coming down or being exposed to coronavirus, if you get sick at all, it tends to be very, very mild and you usually don't get sick at all. Wow, okay. So let me ask you about what your reaction is to the plans in some states, and because it kind of works into where I want to go about the Constitution and, and the right of freedom. What do you think about the programs about track and trace? I would advise everyone uh, to be very cautious before they get tested. Again, the way to know real truth is what did doctors tell people before the incident, before March? We always practice medicine when we don't do testing that doesn't change anything that we do. We don't run around and do MRIs, blood tests, CAT scans, if the person doesn't have symptoms. So the first thing to know is you don't just do a test to do a test. Absolutely not. If you have some real symptoms that are 
consistent with COVID-19, such as chest pain or shortness of breath, you could consider getting tested if you want to. My preference is just take treatment because the treatment is extraordinarily benign. Hydroxychloroquine is the most studied medicines in the, in the world, really, very benign. If you've got classic symptoms, anosmia, difficult smelling and taste, just start treatment and you're done. The problem with testing is that our government has made it into a trap. They trap you into testing and retesting and quarantining. And then you think your friends have to quarantine and you think your friend's uncle's cousin's neighbor has to quarantine. That's what's gone wrong with testing. I'm so glad to hear you say that because I just had the first, even the term track and trace, I happen to know in the state of Texas, they actually did a little bit of research of how people reacted to track and trace and people didn't like that term too well. So now they call, they have some other term for it that's a little less um, ominous sounding because people do, they have the sense, not only are you going to track me, but you're going to trace me from now on. It's very important. It's very, people ask me all the time, well, how do you know? You're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you know, and I, and I want to empower people. Do the same thing you would have done last year. If you were asymptomatic last year, you would have not run out and gotten a medical test. First of all, don't get tested for asymptomatic. If you've got classic symptoms, just start treatment. If you're in the in-between, you can just start it prophylactically. This drug is very, very safe. And hydroxychloroquine does require a prescription though? Hydroxychloroquine in America requires a prescription. However, there are many doctors that are knowledgeable and are perfectly okay with prophylactic, you know, doctors, you know, a lot of them. Our website, americasfrontlinedoctors.com, click get a physician referral. You will be connected with a hydroxychloroquine knowledgeable physician who will prescribe it for you prophylactically. And I suggest that every American has it in their medicine cabinet because they're gonna kind of rev it up over the next few months and they're gonna mm -hmm. scare people to death and they're gonna say you need to be tested and all that. Throw that away, put something useful in your life, which is a hydroxychloroquine bottle next to the Tylenol. What do you think about the advocacy for waiting, kind of freezing? I know we're not into freezing in place, but waiting until a vaccine is available. And, and given the, uh, the lack of severity of this uh, problem that we've been discussing, is a vaccine really needed? Yeah, so no, the, people need to think twice about it. The, the starting point should be that it's fundamentally irrational to take an untested, unproven drug manufactured by a drug manufacturer that is shielded from liability when you've got a safe, effective, decades-old, safe, cheap, widely available alternative that works. It's just fundamentally irrational. There, no normal parent or, or relative of yours would tell you, here, take this unknown thing when we have this other safe thing. And the second thing to consider is why would you be treating with a vaccine a healthy human being for a very trivial illness? That's a problem. You can't be going around giving medical treatments to people who are not sick for something that isn't going to really harm them. What do you think about the, there was a lot of discussion about the CDC including numbers and the death rates that included people who had pre-existing conditions or otherwise uh, comorbidities. And, and so that we seem to have an exaggerated number of COVID deaths that are constantly uh, paraded on headlines. What's your sense, why, why would they have done that? <laughs> the, the, the why will take the whole rest of the show. It's a factual matter that the numbers have been inflated in the sense that, you know, you're just you living your life. You care how it affects you. You care how it affects your family. So it matters if you've got a kid who's 15, you want to know how it's affecting teenagers. SARS-CoV-2 can be lethal to somebody who's standing on the precipice. Somebody who's got bad kidneys, lungs, or heart disease should prophylax against SARS-CoV-2. Virtually everybody else, this is a trivial recoverable illness. It's not pleasant. Nobody likes to be sick, but you'll recover from it. So the, the, the numbers were inflated in the sense that 
patients who are standing on the precipice can easily be pushed over to the other side. But if you're not standing on the precipice, if you didn't have a compromised heart, lung, or kidney situation, and I should, I'd be negligent not to say it's diabetes and obesity are, are huge yeah, factors. Yeah. That's really what I should say first. If you're not in that category, you're going to survive this, no problem. Okay, so how do we get here, you know, politically, and I know that you're a doctor and you're not really involved in politics, but I want to, so we got to this place in part because we had the world became aware more or less in January of this year of something coming out of China, and then we had a lot of uh, political dispute about what were the right ways to react, right ways to respond. Many people in this election cycle are using the argument that President Trump mishandled this in some way, that he didn't do, he didn't quarantine us fast enough, he didn't shut us down fast enough, he didn't order masks. And I know that it's it, the Monday morning quarterback, I'm not asking you to try to do that, but given what you, we know now, what you knew back then, do you, was there a grotesque mishandling of this coronavirus threat to America out of the Trump administration? I think the single most important step taken in this pandemic, for America was him shutting the airport to the traffic on January 31st. And any discussion of this issue that wants to criticize the administration has to acknowledge how important that step was. That was critical. Number two, pandemics happen. They've happened for, cent since, for time throughout, again. <laughs> since time began, and they will continue to happen. The curves, when you look at it from an epidemiological perspective, are not that different than other pandemics. The mis President Trump's wanted to keep everything open. Remember, he said 15 days to slow the spread. He wanted to open the country at Easter. He was under immense pressure from people who called themselves experts. I don't really blame a non-physician for deferring to a physician expert. I absolutely blame the physicians who are around him, the government physicians who only have government jobs, telling him that the deaths were going to be 2 million, telling him that he was going to run out of ventilators. It's a crime, but it's it, it, there were mistakes that happened, but it wasn't due to the president. You could hear his own words saying 15 days to slow the spread. And now, you know, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Birx keep talking about fear and keeping things locked down. I don't think it's the president. And by the way, the FDA is, is very complicit in this and the CDC, they're very complicit. They said some things that are factually inaccurate. It's not the president. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. So your background as a doctor and a um, lawyer, I want to turn, and I know we're almost out of time and want to make sure you get going when you need to go, but on the subject of the uh, law and the Constitution and the whole basic fundamental right of freedom, I believe you said something in the ballpark of, we have a definitely a challenge in the healthcare system, something we have to deal with, but we have a crisis in, in America in terms of constitutionally how we're handling this and, and, what, and the, the threats to Americans' freedom. Can you just elaborate? Because that has been my point from day one. My yes. point is that. There's no question that we have a medical issue, but we have a legal crisis. By medical issue, I mean we have a virus out there that doctors are able to manage and handle exactly like doctors are able to handle all of your other illnesses. So there should not be all of the politicians weighing in on how a doctor should handle a situation. The legal crisis is so much bigger than the medical issue, and the reason is is twofold. One is people are not realizing that there's a huge legal crisis. Let me give you some examples of the legal crisis we're in. We have never had a governor tell a doctor what they can prescribe. It's never happened. Do medications already have to go through tremendous regulations to be FDA approved. Doctors already are held to tremendously high standards in terms of medical malpractice and other regulations. So why are the politicians all of a sudden weighing, putting their finger on the scale of yeah. what doctors and patients can do. That's a legal crisis that we're not talking about. Other legal crisis is our inalienable rights, which were given to us by God. They're codified in the Constitution, but they're given to us by God. The government has no right to usurp 
usurped them or abridged them because those rights are not given by the government. They're given by God. So all of a sudden, the government is abridging our inalienable rights, and we're not noticing, and we're not complaining, and we're not talking about this as a crisis. We have an inalienable right to free speech. I, as a doctor, can talk to a patient. A patient can talk to me. We have an inalienable right to practice religion, which is, of course, in person, which a lot of people involve singing. And we have an inalienable right to assemble. We're not even allowed to assemble these days. These are deep constitutional rights that are all being abridged, and we're not talking about it. Those are the legal crises I'm talking of. I love that point. And to elaborate on the point about the loss of liberty, the other thing that's happened is kind of a, a miasma that has infiltrated America's culture and society where people don't even see that that's what is happening to them. They think, oh, I'm being a good compliant citizen. I'm staying home. I got my goggles, my mask. I'm not going anywhere. And, and they don't recognize that they, they feel like they're participating in, in helping their neighbor. And they're actually surrendering the, the kind of culture of self-reliance and culture of liberty that is foundational in America. One of the reasons I've started speaking about, uh, out about masks, which I didn't do for a lot of months, is because it's causing tremendous harm to our country. The people who believe in masks think that it's no big deal to put a mask on, but it's not true. The masks are causing tremendous social divisiveness. There are three groups of Americans, those who've been propagandized, those who recognize the propaganda, and those that really don't care either way. The people who recognize that they've been, that there's propaganda out there will not put the mask on. That makes the two groups really at each other's throats, very socially divisive. There's mask shaming, there's mask virtue signal, yep. there's hashtag social compliance. May I remind you that we had a president who was a community organizer. You cannot organize people, you cannot um, have normal human relationships with a mask on. It is fundamentally changing American culture. And also, there is no statutory right and there is no common law right for the government to tell Americans what they wear. This is where this is going. If there's no scientific basis for the mask, then the legislator needs to get the consent of the governed before he tells us what we would put on our body, including our face. That is so well said. I didn't really think of it in terms of what to wear, but it is telling us what to wear. Uh, so beyond people going to your website and learning everything and watching these videos, I, I just feel like there is so much more uh, potential for the American people to get involved in this issue, to talk to their legislators. And what do you tell someone who hears everything you're saying and they say, you know, what do you want us to do about this? We're with you all the way. What can people do? You know, there are a couple of things that you can just do in your own life. I know I'm an American too. I live in this world. I know how painful and difficult it is. You need to role model as much disobedience as you possibly can. I'm not saying get into a fight with your mother-in-law. What I'm saying is don't wear the mask unless you absolutely have to. If you have to pay the bill and put the mask on, then put it on. If you have to get on a plane like I do, then you get on. All other times, you must not comply with things that are unconstitutional. You do that for three reasons. One is to strengthen your own resolve towards freedom. Two is you need to role model for other people what, first of all, what freedom looks like and to get them thinking. They are also afraid, and if they see you being free, they'll be more likely to come to our side. Yep. And the third is to put our politicians on notice that they are going to have a lot of opposition if they keep going down this path. So be disobedient with rules that are unconstitutional to begin with. I love that. And related to that, you were mentioning the three groups and the ones who've been propagandized. Many of them don't mean to be. They don't. They actually are acting in good faith. They think what they're doing is the best thing. So if you, my listeners, can get a hold, get a link to the website we were talking about, americasfrontlinedoctors.com, even a, a, short, a smaller link, a URL to one of the videos or a paper or, or an explanation about masks, 
and send it via email to your 1,000 best friends and say, I know you're concerned and I don't want to be uh, confrontational, but I think all of us should understand more. Sharing information is one of the ways you just wake other people up. Thomas Jefferson says you cannot be both ignorant and free. You, that's wishing for something that never was and never will be. If you want to share one link with people who don't understand what's going on about being propagandized, it's our link, our education on masks. It's mind-blowing, okay. the mask one. And, and, and please wait. remind and please remind people if you're wearing a mask, if you can smell cigarette smoke, it sure as heck is not keeping out a virus that's 0.1 micron in size, one thousandth of a hair. I actually wanted to go back that one thousandth of the side of a single piece of hair Correct. is how big these little microbes are. The, this the SARS COV two virus is 0.1 microns, which is one one thousandth of a hair. Okay, and you're going to keep it out with these flimsy masks. And you also at kind of a measure of all of how, how much our society has adjusted. Just a couple of days ago, I was looking for something and I was pulling things out of a drawer and I realized I came across like, you know, I have, I go to political events and a candidate will say, oh, we have masks. And so they have a mask with their little logo on it. And so I have the candidates masks. I have the ones that we ordered right away because we realized we couldn't go to the grocery store without them. I, I mean, I must have a dozen masks in my drawer and I'm, and I'm thinking, what would I have thought on January 1 this year if I opened that drawer and said, what in the world are these? It's like we've so easily become conditioned to agreeing I have to own these, I have to have them ready. And we've just, we, we surrender our liberty, which is one of my core things. I just, I do this show to talk about the astonishing greatness of America and the notion of God-given right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, which cannot mean you get told to wear a mask every day, all day. Any last, I love it. Actually, if you tell our listeners your Twitter handle. At Dr. Simone Gold. Okay, and do I dare ask, you have a book coming out. Are you oh one? my gosh, yes. It's I Do Not Consent, My Fight Against Medical Cancel Culture. That is a great title. Thank Just the you so title much. is fabulous. <laughs> so how soon are we talking? Be ready. It came out yesterday. <gasps> this is hot this. off the press, brand new for your listeners. <laughs> is it on Amazon? It's on Amazon. And if you buy it, I hope you enjoy it. And please leave a review. Yes. Say the name again, please. I do not consent my fight against medical cancel culture. So you can just Amazon, I do not consent book. By Dr. Simone Gold. What a great title. I'm sure a great book. I know you're very busy and you're so sought after as a voice of reason and intelligence and an educated doctor and lawyer. So I'm so grateful you had time to come here today. Thank you. It's an honor to be with the Patriot. Thank you so very much, Dr. Simone Gold. Folks, I cannot urge you strongly enough, share this interview. I said, like with your thousand best friends, share it, help spread this information because at the end of the day, what matters is truth. Not rumors, not headlines, not what even the famous medical establishment says. At the end of the day, it's only truth that matters. Learn the truth and spread it. One more topic for today. I want to hit because I know it's just a huge topic as we look forward to our, I think maybe there's going to be a debate tomorrow night. That's actually unclear, but there may be a debate tomorrow night between President Trump and presidential candidate Joe Biden. And I want to just talk a little bit about the latest things kind of exploding uh, on the Democrat side. Obviously, we talked earlier in the week about having the Hunter Biden laptop uh, come to the attention of America. I mean, if you didn't hear the facts very quickly, Hunter Biden, the uh, drug addicted adult son of Joe Biden, or the Democrats presidential candidate, he, Hunter Biden, in April of this year, dropped off three laptops to be repaired because they had liquid damage. Something had been spilled on them and just at a repair place in Delaware. And uh, one of them was completely destroyed, couldn't do a thing with it. One of them took a minor repair. The other one they, they got the hard drive out of. 
Bottom line, Hunter Biden was, uh, he also went in on a second follow-up visit, what was a week later or so, because he needed to bring them a keyboard for some reason, they needed that. The owner of that, of that shop, the uh, computer repair shop, reported that Hunter Biden was so inebriated he had a hard time signing his name. He has a problem. I'm not mocking people who have drug or alcohol addiction problems, but those kinds of people tend to engage in conduct that later can be very compromising to them and their family. Fast forward, Hunter Biden never picks up the laptops. The contract with the owner of that shop says, if you don't pick it up, but within X days or whatever it was, X weeks, it becomes the property of the repair shop. This is true of if you leave clothes at the dry cleaner, uh, shoes at the shoe repair place, all sorts of businesses, including computer businesses, have this in the contract. You drop it off, you don't ever come get it, you know, you lose. So he, Hunter Biden, never picked these things up and never paid the uh, owner of this uh, repair place, this computer repair place. Well. The owner of it became aware of the contents of the hard drive, which is his property to look at. The hard drives on Hunter Biden's laptops make very clear it just a just a in a, 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 a multitude of evidence, a, a just an abundance of evidence about what seems to have been the ongoing arrangement in the Biden family for Hunter Biden to arrange for himself to become involved in all sorts of business deals around this world, getting a whole lot of money in the millions and sometimes in the B billions of dollars, essentially it appears selling access to his father, the then vice president. This is Hunter Biden, the druggie going around the world, getting for the one example we all know about in the Ukraine, he was with Burisma. He got a monthly salary. Originally we were told it was $50,000 a month. I don't know a lot of people on the planet who earn $50,000 a month, but that was his salary, which was an alleged energy company. And Hunter Biden have, having exactly zip, zero, nada, no experience or intelligence or education related to the, that business. But hey, he's Hunter Biden. He gets paid an enormous salary. It appears from a series of emails that money, half of it's flowing to his dad, Joe Biden. That's just one of just hundreds and I believe thousands of emails that became uh, became known because Hunter Biden left his laptop uh, and never picked it up on time. You actually had the, a lawyer for Joe Biden contact, much later contact the uh, owner of the shop saying, hey, we'd love to get those laptops back, you know, but this time is too late, um, and actually confirms that indeed these were Hunter Biden's laptops. In addition to all of that, the just seeming, as has now been called by Rudy Giuliani and others, the Biden crime family, you now have, in addition to all of that seeming, what seems like bribery, selling access to the federal government, you have meetings that occurred in the White House, seemingly set up because Hunter Biden was willing to sell access to his dad. In addition to all that, you have on these laptops pictures of Hunter Biden, extremely compromising pictures. He apparently has a huge problem with crack, alcohol, and interested, interested underage girls. So you have pornographic pictures, you have pictures of what appear to be un underage girls, you have him you know, out of his mind on various drugs and alcohol. These pictures now on those laptops, now available. And the uh, owner of that repair shop, tried to get the FBI's attention early on. It was like in September, he walked into, he actually walked into a FBI office like in Santa Fe or someplace out west. They weren't interested. Hey, no thanks, we don't want this. Finally now, so we're all up to speed today, 
The FBI now has those hard drives, now has those laptop, laptops, so it's now in the possession of the national law enforcement agencies in this country. What seems to be clear from those laptops is that for a very long time, and if you listen to the great, great um, uh, presentations by Rudy Giuliani on his podcast called Common Sense, Rudy Giuliani, former prosecutor, building the case as only a prosecutor can, building the case, connecting the dots, showing America how what was on Hunter Biden's laptop shows a long-term pattern, a criminal pattern in the Biden family, getting Biden, getting Hunter Biden big salaries for doing nothing, money, half the money flowing to the dad, Hunter Biden selling access to his dad. And on top of that, you have the initial effort by the Democrat Party to claim that this was a disinformation campaign, that the entire story about these laptops was a disinformation campaign by the Russians. This was something Adam Schiff tried to float, you know, Adam Schiffless of no integrity, morals, or honesty at all tried to float saying, yeah, this is just a Russian disinformation thing. Well, now the uh, laptops in possession of the FBI, you now have the director of national intelligence, the former Texas Congressman, John Ratcliffe, now DNI said, uh, no, there's absolutely no evidence that this is a Russian disinformation campaign. You also have the FBI headed by Christopher Wray, no particular friend or supporter of President Trump, who's also the FBI said no evidence that this is, um, that there is anything about these that suggests it's Russian disinformation. The flat out fact is that the Biden team, the Biden family really have been exposed in this laptop um, episode brought entirely to the attention of the American people because of Hunter Biden's ongoing drug problem, alcohol problem, and just basically being completely out of it. So you have DNI, Ratcliffe saying there, there's nothing like this, not Russian disinformation. The FBI says it's not Russian disinformation. The Bidens can't really deny this story, although I did want to ask Matt the Wonderful to play one clip. Uh, this is a clip by Biden where he refers to the uh, the whole question. He's answering a media question, and he gives the answer basically saying that the um, this is just a smear campaign. If Matt, if we have that. It affects Wisconsin. So Wisconsin's Republican Sorry. Senator Ron Johnson put out a statement on Homeland Security letterhead saying Hunter Biden, together with other Biden family members, profited off the Biden name. Is there any legitimacy to Senator Johnson's claims? None whatsoever. This is the same garbage Rudy Giuliani, Trump's henchman. It's the last-ditch effort in this desperate campaign to smear me and my family. Even the man who served with him on that committee, the former nominee for the Republican Party, said there's no basis to this. And, you know, and, all, and the vast majority of the intelligence people have come out and said there's no basis at all. Ron should be ashamed of himself. Okay, on that lie that Biden just said, he said uh, some, something about all these former FBI people, DOJ people, intelligence people have said that disinformation. To be really clear, the Democrats scrambled right after this Biden laptop came to public attention and they got 50 former intelligence officers to say this looks like Russian disinformation to us. And actually, the FBI itself is saying, uh, no, no, sorry, this, that, that's not true. This is not, there's no evidence. This is Russian disinformation. In fact, you have, 
what they now have making clear that this really is Hunter Biden's laptop. They have his own signature on the form he dropped off at the repair place. Yeah, his own signature saying it. You have other people now connected with the Biden family, connected with Hunter Biden, uh, his associates, um, who's now who are now cooperating. You have one person in prison cooperating, uh, giving his own emails to the government, actually to Breitbart, and eventually to the government, to, which verify and line up everything that's in those emails. You have the conversations about, essentially, they recognize using Hunter Biden is great because, you know, he can get us access. He can get, they, they use terms like um, the, uh, viewing the Biden name as a form of currency and that they have a direct pipeline to the Obama-Biden administration. More emails pouring in, verifying exactly what Rudy Giuliani and others are saying about this. There was also an email that was released. I think this was one that ended up going to, uh, that Breitbart published, but it was an email sent directly to Hunter Biden uh, by Vadim um, Pozarsky, the Russian, uh, the Ukrainian, who says, Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to DC and giving me an opportunity to meet your father and spend some time together. It's really an honor and pleasure. As we spoke yesterday evening, would be great to meet today for a quick coffee. What do you think? I can come by your office somewhere around noon or so before or on my way to the airport. Uh, and this, again, is dated April 17th, 2015. This same Burisma official, Ukrainian Burisma official, uh, later shows up having access to the White House, getting in to meet with Joe Biden via Hunter Biden's connection. But I really wanted to go with this today. The, the evidence, with well, this hope there'll be so many more stories coming out, so much more information. But what I really want to get to is uh, a serious note about this, where we are in this presidential election cycle. I've had people calling me saying, what do you think the Democrats should do? Everyone can see this is not a Russian disinformation campaign. This is flat out available to the world clear uh, proof, pretty much. I mean, evidence, overwhelming evidence that the Biden crime family used the uh, Biden name, used the vice presidency, the role and power of that to have their adult son, Hunter, gallivant around the world. And there are more stories, more are coming out. So far we have Ukraine, China, Russia, and one other country, uh, Ukraine, Russia, China, and yeah, Iraq, Russia, Ukraine, China illusions about, uh, and, and somebody, the, the hard drive, the entire hard drive now in the possession of Rudy Giuliani, he's already said more things coming out, Romania, other stories. So what do you do when you're the head of the Democrat Party, or whoever the group is who's trying to decide how to handle this? What do you do when your candidate is, you know, number one, has dementia, so he's not really going to be the candidate anyway, but he's the figurehead. Do you leave him in? You just say, you know what, at this point, we can't possibly substitute another candidate. We can't pull Biden out based on all of this. We can't say, wow, terrible scandal. You know, sometimes early on in races, in Senate races, House races, when a big scandal emerges, a party will just put pressure on the candidate and say, you've got to get out. We cannot win this with you in this. But they're two weeks from the election. Number two, they don't have a bench. There's no Democrat bench. There's no one in waiting who could be there oh it's great because if we got joe biden pulled out we can put in somebody there's no somebody there's no one on the democrat side who who could even uh get a get a um an iota of interest out of the democrat voters they they had a, a huge slate of people who ran the primary 
And they had, I mean, literally most of them got no attention, no energy, no momentum at all. The Democrat voters didn't like any of the crazy leftists that the Democrats put up who decided to run for president. So they've got Biden. They have no one to put in if they take him out. And on top of that, a bunch of votes have been cast. I mean, we've talked like millions of votes in America have already been cast. So the Democrats are in the proverbial rock and hard place. He is a, he is a deeply compromised candidate. He was already Joe Biden, but now the whole world knows it. The whole world knows it. And he is certainly subject to bribery. I mean, you these pictures of his son and these pornographic pictures with underage girls and, and obviously um, heavily under the influence of alcohol and who knows what drugs. So he's a, and who knows what other pictures are out there. And this is a guy who has been playing ball inside baseball, hidden baseball, Joe Biden I'm talking about, with China, with the Ukraine. And you talk about who is it exactly that can ever be sure that any foreign policy that a Biden administration engaged in, decisions about foreign policy were made on substance, were made on this is the right thing for America, this is the best plan for America, or are they made on because somebody involved in that foreign policy has something on Joe Biden, has something on Hunter Biden. He is a, he is a terminally, truly terminally compromised candidate. He cannot ever be trusted. And the, the whole Democrat cabal that runs that party knows it. They know, maybe they always knew it, but now they know everybody else knows it. So they're stuck with Biden. They've got to, they, they can't, they have nowhere to go taking him out. And they have nowhere to go if he remains their candidate. And yet we keep seeing polls. Again, you see them, new polls. Oh yeah, yeah, Biden's way up over Trump. You know, he's way ahead, all these swing states. You know, Biden's our guy, blah, blah, blah making the people on the left, the American left, who are just motivated by anti-Trump fervor and really don't care one little bit about Biden. They just want Trump out. But those people are thinking, if they see these great polls and Biden's way up, oh, this is great. Biden's going to win. We're finally getting rid of Trump. This is going to be great. But the fact is, the polls aren't that close. But the reason they keep running these polls is because they have to keep alive the idea that they can challenge a Trump victory. They have to keep alive the idea that the polls were so pro-Biden that a Trump victory is inexplicable, is impossible, could only be due to cheating. This is in the minds of the Democrats trying to continue to play out. What do we do here? As for the debate tomorrow night, um, you know, there is a, I will tell you, there's a, a someone connected very close to the uh, Pence team who is saying they don't think that um, Biden is even going to, to agree to do it. He's going to have some reason he can't do it. I don't know if he's going to do it or not do it. But I will say it is very, very, as I, and I kind of wrap up today's show talking about, and we're going to talk again tomorrow about the debate, which will then be a few hours away, unless it's been canceled already. But it's a really interesting dynamic for Biden. As you may know, President Trump asked the Presidential Debate Commission, once all the Hunter Biden laptop email issues came out, could you please add foreign policy? I want foreign policy as a topic in this debate tomorrow. Presidential Commission said, no, we're not changing topics, not putting on foreign policy. And you got to know President Trump is not going to let the opportunity of a presidential debate on national stage, he is not going to let that go and simply decline to comment 
or keep quiet about everything in those Hunter Biden emails. If the question is, what do you think the tax rate should be on you know, X, he's going to answer, let me discuss China and the compromised uh, Biden administration, how compromised they are, because of, and that is what Trump is going to do. You know he's going to do that. He's not going to let the debate commission tell him that he can't talk about the topic that matters most, that is uppermost in the minds of the American people. So on the debate tomorrow night, I think there's some intelligence claiming that Biden is going to drop out. I don't think he dares drop out. I think he has to do it because he is already deeply compromised. He looks guilty if he doesn't do the debate. He's going to try his whole thing, which he's tried so far to say, I just heard him saying, ah, oh, I'm being smeared. This is nothing. There's nothing to it. This is a smear campaign. I'm being smeared, blah, blah, blah. That's what he's trying to say. And I don't think Biden can carry that off. Biden may be in the world thinking that he's going to be like Bill Clinton and Bill Clinton could just look right in the camera and lie to the American people over and over and over. And even after his lies were discovered, the American people didn't care. And Bill Clinton keeps on looking in the camera and lying to the American people. I think Biden looked at what Clinton did in his life and thinks, well, that's the answer. That's how you handle these things. You just stare right in the camera and you just say whatever it is you want people to believe, including in this case. All of this is just a smear campaign. This is made up. This is not true. Biden may think he can get away with that, but I am telling you, he cannot. These are not rumors, as they were in the case of Clinton, but extramarital affairs, which was kind of the standard operating procedure of his marriage, of Bill Clinton's marriage. These are not those kind of rumors. Plenty of Democrat voters decide they didn't care about Bill Clinton's personal life behavior. They liked his policies. What we have, what America now understands about what Biden did, what Hunter Biden's emails reveal about the Biden crime family operation, these are not things that the American people are going to say, oh, well, you know, that's okay. Uh, you know, I, I, we know the truth, but it doesn't really matter. We like him anyway. These go to the fundamental core responsibilities of the commander in chief of the chief executive officer of the United States of America. When you're running for president and now the entire country knows that you have been engaged in an ongoing with your son bribery efforts, letting your son buy access to you and not just one country one time, but a series of countries, a series of corrupt dealings, millions and billions pouring into your family. The American people are not going to put up with it. And I don't think that Joe Biden can get away with continuing to just dismiss it all as a smear campaign. He's in a very tough spot, but I think he will show up at the debate tomorrow night. And then number two, I want to talk about, in closing up today's conversation, I want to talk just a tiny bit about the debate tomorrow night, assuming it occurs, with respect to the rules about they're going to use the mute button. You likely know that the uh, Presidential Debate Commission announced, because last time between Trump and Biden, President Trump went over the end, whatever the time period he had was, two minutes or three, whatever it was, he often talked over, and so did Biden. But the debate commission has announced that they are saying their rule now is they're going to cut their mic off. So if you had two minutes and you keep talking, they're just going to cut your mic off. And so they've made this announcement. And so now Trump's got to calculate, you know, what's he going to do about this? Because, you know, it's one thing. If the debate commission says, you know, we're going to cut the mic off when your time is up. Your two minutes are up, Mr. President. Sorry, we're cutting your mic. 
your two minutes are up, uh, Vice President Biden, your two minutes are up, your mic is cut off. They could have a fair application of a rule cutting off the mic as to t when you overrun the time limit you had. But what if the debate commission decides tomorrow night that they're going to use the mic cutting, the cut your mic off, if the president, based on the content of the president's answer, so the question to him is, you know, what do you think should be our, um, you know, our tax policy uh, regarding energy? And President Trump answers, I'd like to discuss again one of the emails that was on Hunter Biden's email that compromises Joe Biden as a potential president. If Trump doesn't answer the question, and I'm telling you, Trump has to use this opportunity to make sure more American people understand what was in those emails, understand the depth and level of evil corruption that is just the Biden crime family. Trump cannot let this go by. He's got to say, and he's going to do it. So what I think he should do is put them on notice right now to the debate commission, understand everybody's okay. I mean, if we're gonna go with the mic cutting because of the overrunning your time, fine. Long as it's applied to both of us, but not, oh, not mic cutting, overcoming my answer. If I am in the middle of an answer and I'm supposed to be talking, you know, whatever it is, uh, welfare reform, and I want to talk about Joe Biden and his uh, corruption, I get to do that. It's going to be a very interesting uh, play between the Presidential Debate Commission and President Trump because he has to use this opportunity to make sure more Americans who don't listen to this show, don't read, don't learn, that they understand the depth of corruption of the Democrat Party, of Biden, exposed by Hunter Biden's emails. He's got to do that. Very interesting to watch to see what the debate commission does about that. They decide their mic cutting rule is going to be applied if you're not answering the question, if you're off on a different topic, non-responsive to the question. It's going to be, if the debate happens tomorrow night, if Biden actually shows up, if Trump actually shows up, it is going to be full of fireworks, definitely worth watching. Uh, and I will be watching. I'm actually speaking tomorrow night at an event where they're going to be, it's before the event, and they're going to, then they're going to play the debate. So uh, lots of other interesting things to uh, consider coming out of that debate. And closing up today, and wrapping up today, I will say this about that. The American people actually deserve, those paying attention enough to tune into a presidential debate, they deserve to have a a debate in which they actually get to hear the views of each candidate on a variety of issues with questions coming from a neutral moderator. The Presidential Commission on Debates is hopelessly corrupted. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Someone dug in to figure out the funding for that it goes all the way back to the nefarious George Soros. The entire commission should be abandoned. The Republican Party moving forward needs to say something like, we'd love to do presidential debates, and we, the Republican side, we appoint ex-moderator, Democrat candidate, they appoint whatever moderator they want. You got two moderators at each debate, and each of those moderators has exactly the same amount of time and any other rules they want to make beyond that. But letting the corrupted Presidential Commission on Debates choose, as you will see tomorrow night, yet another left-wing moderator who will use the opportunity to try to malign President Trump and to bolster Joe Biden, American people. That is not worthy of the American people. It's not good enough for the presidential debates, for really for the people who want to hear from these candidates and what they believe in. 
as I do at the close of every show, I want to tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started our day today talking about COVID cancels, Thanksgiving, sports, and school. COVID has become all politics all the time. Lockdowns and restrictions not justified by data and seemingly unrelated to science. Lockdowns and restrictions not justified by data, not related to science or public health. No Thanksgiving for you orders. They are starting to wake people up. Recoveries, even quick recoveries, are the norm, as you heard from the wonderful Dr. Simone Gold. Not the exception. Effective therapy, therapies, hydroxychloroquine, budesonide, Regeneron, others, are abundant, not scarce. Lethality rates are comparatively very low, not high. Science is not defined or limited by one man and is not determined by politics. Fauci is one among many knowledgeable experts, and he is a man of the hard left. Americans sense that the COVID panic porn is getting old and it's unpersuasive. Americans are resilient and they love life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Regulating Thanksgiving gatherings may be a tipping point. A majority of Americans may finally reject the whole fear pandemic. And a hunter's laptop, does it equal Joe's demise? Why it matters to you? The magnitude of suppression and denial efforts signal the importance of laptop content. DNI and FBI separately confirmed Hunter's content is not Russian disinformation. Simple conclusions we can all come to. Joe Biden was and is on the take from communist China and was and maybe still is blackmailable based on Hunter's photographed behavior. Joe Biden appears to be exactly what the left deep state falsely accused without any evidence Donald Trump of being effectively an agent of a foreign power. The call to American patriots has never been clearer. Either President Trump is reelected or America is led by a true puppet of China and Russia and by aggressive leftism, communism, secularism. Friends, these are exciting times to be alive in America, exciting times to be part of our whole process in America. Our friend there, Matt, and we're coming back to close up the show. These are very exciting times to be part of the American political conversation. I cannot urge you strongly enough, if you like this show, do all the social media things you know to do, like, share, uh, tell your friends about it, comment, uh, follow me on Twitter, be part of the army, the, the army that's going to retake this country from the radical leftists trying to destroy it in this election cycle. Love having you listen. If you go to my website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, hit the subscribe button for my once-a-week email. I never share those emails, but it's a once-a-week email from me. And also consider donating to make this show possible. This show thrives 100% on donations. It is a listener-supported show. Would love to have your support one time or recurring to this show to make it all happen. And I'll close out by saying thank you so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you hear